This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Yo, I'm back on what people call the mainland from Hawaii, also known as the United States of America, also known as Oregon. And I'm here with a very special man named Chase Beringer. Uh, we have, this is going to, hold on to your horsies, hold on to your horsies. Firstly, where are we, Chase? Uh, we're actually on the property that I grew up on, like middle of nowhere, Crow, Oregon, a town of 300 people. And okay, crow is it is really called crow organ? Yeah, it's called oh, okay. crow. I didn't know yeah, this yeah, was yeah, like yeah. one of those sayings, like two like crows past yeah, exactly. a bridge or something like that. Pretty okay. much. All right, so wow, it's an honor to be here. It's beautiful. Um, definitely check out the video uh, marketing material of this because um, we're like kind of in a castle, or like a glass castle of a lot of beautiful trees. Yeah, it's uh, that's one way to say it. I mean, there's deer down there in the orchard and uh, just all these oak and pine trees. It's it's an incredibly beautiful place to live. Um, also in the middle of nowhere, so it is super secluded. Uh, we actually, like, just a week ago got high-speed internet for the very first time. We've had dial-up where you could... I haven't watched one video on this property my entire life that I've ever been here until a week ago and we finally and i was like netflix for life yes wow um have you what, what has been your favorite thing you've watched on netflix since you've gotten it uh i watched the new uh, as a comedy special uh by ali wong uh she's pregnant and talking about just like motherhood and just giving birth and she's just nasty she's just raw and i love it uh, deanna actually watched uh, deanna really had some of those like Deep belly laughters that could be judged as almost demonic. They're so deep. They're like, they're like. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, there were some good laughs out of that. So I've, I, I, that's good choice. Good choice. Um, man, we could go down so many rabbit trails right now. For one thing, your brand, the Bucket List Lifestyle. Is that correct? Yeah, the Bucket List Lifestyle. And then I saw what was the tagline underneath it. So it's interesting that you asked this. So. Uh, our, our tagline actually just changed. Uh, it, it's always been uh, new friends, epic adventures, because we take small groups of people on epic adventures. And it's application only, so it's going to be dope people. But at the same time, you don't know the people that you're traveling with. You just know that supposedly they're dope. And eventually, you know, we're all new friends, and it's definitely going to be an epic adventure. Uh, I decided to change it because I have this tattoo. And this tattoo uh, is on my leg, and it has... Uh, a heartbeat on it, like an EKG heartbeat. And that's actually our logo. Um, and it says adventure awaits. And I've had it for years. And it's something that I, it's just a beautiful reminder that like, whatever I'm doing, I could be out here in the Oregon woods, um, you know, writing a book and chilling out and not having a specifically epic adventure. Uh, but they're constantly waiting for me. Uh, that's what I realize is, is as, I, as I'm here, I know that, that every time I get on an airplane, an adventure is waiting for me. Uh, and that's what that tattoo is a reminder of. And so I, um, we changed the, the tagline, actually, to your next adventure awaits. And uh, it's, it's just a, it, it's aligned with who I am as a person and what I love. And so uh, my business is, of course, a reflection of myself. Awesome, man. All right. And speaking of list, um I realized I, I had this on the plane ride over here from yesterday. We flew back from Maui, and I, I realized on my marketing, like the back of my book, it says I've been to all 50 states and 20 plus countries. 
And then I started counting the countries because I, I was like, I'm in over 20 countries and I can only count 20. So that's the first a confession. I might, uh -huh. my, I wonder if my marketing, some of my marketing material was a bit deceptive. But then I thought about it. I wondered if I, when I was publishing the book, if I thought I was planning to go to Croatia. And maybe I imagined I would have gone there before it was. It was one timeline. Yeah. So anywho, the reason I bring that up, I imagine I want to hear about your list I'm like, so I, I bet I want to know where our, our paths have crisscrossed. And for anyone that's listening, I want to know, um, tune in because I think, what was that book that you pulled out? Two pi what was that? Oh, it was, uh, tales of a pioneer. Uh, it was like our conversations with a frontiersman, a pioneer frontiersman. And I think that's for people, for the modern day nomad that I'd say is traveling in a successful way, like in a fulfilling way, that's not only like I'm going to escape for the weekend and then come back home, but actually making it a lifestyle. Um, I think we are, we are in the presence of two men that have been doing that for a while. So I'm really yeah. excited to learn more about uh, some of the highlights of the list that you've already crossed off. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just as like to let you know the way that I, I think about a bucket list is yes, uh, I wrote this list of all these amazing places that I wanted to go in, in these things that I wanted to do. Um, but there was also plenty of things on there that had nothing to do with adventure travel. And it was about like uh, giving my mother uh, a dozen roses and telling her I love her not on Mother's Day. Uh, you know, having an open conversation with my father, uh, getting to know my grandpa better, making a family tree, coaching my kids team, things like that. Um, but there was like a majority of it was adventure travel. And when I first wrote it, I didn't even know. When you said making a family tree, what does that mean? Uh, that means uh, like actually figuring out who was my great, great, great grandma and who was her sisters and her mother and like on both sides and writing it out, like really seeing, because it's in my family, uh, certain members of my family have a lot of knowledge about this and we, and but it hasn't actually been written down in a really clear way. And I want to make it like very, very clear of like, this is their parents and their grandparents. And I went to Ellis Island actually, it was on the bucket list um, so that I could find uh, my both my mother's side and my father's side coming over from Europe. And I found out that they actually came over uh, on the same boat. Uh, it, it was the same physical ship. Now, it wasn't the same date. They went on two different dates, but it was the same exact boat that brought my, my mother's family over, brought my father's family over uh, from Europe, which was super interesting because I just imagined like this, this boat bringing people over and, and they're you know, these, these lives are, are, you know, people being born and dying and born and dying. And then eventually my parents meet, uh, and create a family that makes my life. And it's, it's just an interesting way to look at that, seeing the history of it. And that's why, you know, making my family trees is, it sounds really exciting to me is, is finding out the history of who I am as well. Not only my family. Yeah. And you, you mentioned how long of a boat ride do you think that was? Oh my gosh. Uh, six idea? weeks, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Weeks and and please okay if you're out there and you're like I'm a historian <laughs> on boats and I know that that was a four week journey, but <laughs> please don't call me out. All right, or or do just for a fine. I, yeah, I, I want to talk to you, a boat historian. Please, it might be interesting. Um, wow, that's cool. That that's fascinating to me. All right, so you were gonna continue, but I was just like that was one no. thing you said. I'm like that sounds interesting. Yeah. To me. So so as I was saying before though, it's like. Like, yes, a lot of this was adventure travel and a lot of it was personal stuff because I had never planned on sharing this list. It was something incredibly private and personal for me and things that I wanted to do. Um, and I had never been out of the country when I wrote this list. I, I was growing up in this small town, Crow, Oregon, 300 people. 
um, you know, I was divorced, depressed, overweight, uh, broke and writing this list of this incredible life that I wanted to lead and live. And I never thought that it was possible, but when I started to actually take steps towards accomplishing it, that's when I started to feel alive. That's when I started to feel like I could actually accomplish this list. So I started um, taking them off one by one. The first one was running with the bulls, which is like one of the craziest ones in Spain. Uh, And I actually thought that I would never do that. It's like saying like, I want to climb Everest or I want to do, it's like an idea, but to actually do it is a whole different thing. So, um, you know, like, heading to to run with the bulls was something that was so far outside of my comfort zone. I mean, I'm a, I'm a country guy, you know, with just like my, my life up until that point was just day to day working a bunch of double shifts, getting a bunch of debt and trying to pay my bills and to do something so 180 degrees to that opened up the world to me and uh, allowed me to feel things that I've never felt, uh, that I've, that I continued to chase, for years and years until I uh, figured out how to actually create that within myself and not need an external thing happening or me in a certain space for me to make that feeling occur in my body. Nice. How long ago was that? The That was uh, six and a half years ago. Uh, okay. Six and a half years ago, <laughs> I, uh, I went running with the Bulls in July. And ever since then, it's been a whirlwind, man. I've been to, I I don't even know how many countries I've been to genuinely, um, 40, 50 ish. Um, I didn't, I haven't, um, looked at that either, but, um, the, the thing that I like to do is I like to go to festivals, cultural festivals, not music festivals, although those are cool too, but cultural festivals, there's something really unique about them because we have, you get to go, you know, let's say a couple days early or you stay a couple days late and you get to see the same city that you would normally see if you went there, right? You get to, let's say we're going to Munich and you go to Munich and uh, you're like, oh, okay, cool. The, you know, great restaurants, great food, good, cool people, meet some people, all those things. And then Oktoberfest starts and you're like, all right, like now it really begins and you get to experience this uh, like hyper uh just like a, a very extreme version of everything that you've already experienced all at once mixed with a lot of alcohol and fun and people who are off of work and who are just like, let's go crazy. Uh, and it's a great place to meet people and just experience the culture at what I would consider it's most fun. Well, that's, that's so cool. And it's cool too, because I almost wonder, this is where our travels may have differed. I've um, been drawn to going to towns when they're like the most local vibes possible. Especially tourist towns like so, I think of Byron Bay. I think of Encinitas actually. Yeah. You know, Encinitas from because we've both lived there. Mm-hmm. It's totally different from um, between Memorial Day and Labor Day, the summertime, yeah. and then the rest of the time. Totally. And I feel like there's a, a like a, once Labor Day's over, there's a totally different vibe. A hundred percent. Yeah, and and I agree. Uh, it, I think it's. It's my version of breaking normal. So it's like, here's the normal, here's the everyday, the the local vibe, and I want to experience that, but I also want to break that up, and I want to get to like the the most like culturally potent version of what this could possibly be. So for Encinitas, for example, if there was like a uh, Zen yoga hippie dance ecstatic festival going which, on which there like, pretty much is exactly microcosms <laughs> exactly so then you go three days early you stay three days late but you're there for that so you get the extreme yeah, like and the, you get both i love the contrast and i love that um i also imagine it has something to do with you growing up here like the, i like that our interests even if they are different for whatever reason i love that they're different that we've but we've 
done a sim like a parallel path in different ways. Um, because I used, I think I used to do that more. I might have been kind of I used to that's how I used to do. It. I used to go to festivals, but either way, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated. So, what out of these experiences over these six and a half years do any like stick out? Is just like yeah. It, it, once you experienced it, maybe changed the game. It was so breaking yeah. normal. It changed the game for no you. No question. Uh, I'd say the most important trip. Two most important trips basically are the first one I ever took which was to run with the bulls in Spain. Uh, and I went to France as well. France and Spain are next to each other, so it was an easy trip um, to hit both. And it was directly, it was one month after um, I separated from my ex-wife. And I was at the darkest point of my entire life uh, before I went on that trip. And it was the most important experience for me to completely jump out of what everything, everything that I had built my life to be and who I was supposed to be in this little box uh, I left it. I left the box and into a totally different world where I didn't have to be a certain type of person. You know, solo travel allows you to be, in my opinion, your most authentic version of who you are because who the heck are you trying to impress? Solo travel. Solo travel. So that is, did you go to the Running of the Bulls by yourself? By that was an, Okay, and I, yeah. to, I totally agree with this. That, that, that This is also a difference. I have done solo travel, and wow, that is a totally different experience. Yeah, so it? all of my trips have been solo travel until I started the Bucketless Lifestyle trips. Okay. All of, So I, I traveled for six years by myself. I, I refused to travel with anybody else because I just like, it was so sacred to me. Uh, these experiences. And I'll get back to your original question of what were the most impactful, but it was so sacred to me to have the experience of, of just like breathing deeply. And I didn't know how to do it in my normal life. You know, I, I had a job, I was traveling and I, I was working as a caregiver and, and the job, I'm not going to say it was a bad job. It paid my bills and I, and I enjoyed myself, but it wasn't fulfilling me. And I was screaming into pillows at the end of the day. So in the end, that was my breath of fresh air, and I wanted that for me. Um, to answer your question about the, the most important, yes, that first trip, because it allowed me to escape my quote-unquote life that I created for myself, and I was able to look at it from a 30,000-foot view. I was able to get away from it far enough and not have the same people telling me the same things and the same repetitive thoughts. I was able to step away, look at my life, and go, whoa look what I've created for myself. Is that what I want? No, absolutely not. And, and that, so that was the most impactful original trip. I, I would say that the second most important trip I ever went on was the funnest trip I ever went on in my entire life, which was I, I quit my job as a caregiver. So I traveled for three and a half years where I would work for three months, save up money, travel for 10 days, work for three months, save up money, travel for 10 days. And eventually I got to a point where I realized that, Hey, I'm either going to continue on my path and just be okay and just be fine. Or I'm just going to take this leap with the bucketless lifestyle. And I'm going to probably fail because most people do with their very first business. And I had no business experience. And so I, I, I knew going into that. And I said, you know what? I will dig ditches if I need to. I will go back and be a caregiver if I need to. If I fail, I will always have a roof over my head because I grew up in a manual labor kind of a lifestyle where I grew up on a cattle ranch and I can always work to put food in my belly. So I knew that worst case scenario, I'm going to take this leap. And, uh, and when I took that leap, I saved up some money 
and I planned the craziest three months I could possibly think of. And, and I can think of some crazy stuff, like literally. So we're talking four wonders of the world, five cultural festivals. We had 15 countries in three months. I was going to live in the Amazon with tribes and I was going to go to Oktoberfest and I was going to go to Mardi Gras and Colombia and all these incredible places that I absolutely always wanted to go to. And I was going to do it in this huge, big bang. Right. And it was right when I quit my job, it was a celebratory trip for myself and to start off the bucket list lifestyle. And, uh, the first step right after quitting my job was, uh, Mardi Gras. And it was actually my very first time experiencing psychedelics too, because I did LSD at Mardi Gras for the very first time. And so talk about an expansive experience of just quitting my job and being like, I'm all into this lifestyle. And so I I had that experience. And then I went to Peru and I lived in the Amazon and I experienced ayahuasca uh, multiple times living in the jungle. And it was not a you know, oh, it's in the jungle, but it's a retreat center. No, it was a legit tribe that we lived and I slept with spiders as big as my face. I remember thinking too, like, how do I explain how big the spider is? It's as big as my face and it's in my room. So like in the real jungle uh, for weeks and experiencing things all the way from, you know, the Amazon to the Himalayas. I was on Everest during that trip. Uh, experiencing things, pushing my body. I, I set the world record for the fastest ascent to Everest base camp. And it was the hardest experience of my entire life, uh, physically for my body. And I got altitude sickness and I almost died. And it was incredibly painful. And I I don't regret it. One second. Yeah, so you said you set the world record for what? For ascending to Everest base camp. Uh, <laughs> the ascent to Everest base camp. Wow. You know, so it was... I see, I've never been there, so it's hard for me to relate. Um, but I know any setting any world records around Mount Everest sounds like a big deal. Yeah, it's uh, it was incredibly difficult uh, and powerful as well. And it was just, uh, it was solo. It was, I mean, it was it was me and my Sherpa. My Sherpa's been doing this for 26 years. And so and so he, he did it too, same time. We, like, we did this together, and he's never experienced having to do it that fast. So he was tired as hell too. But I, I... I've never experienced myself in this way where it reminded me of like what I imagined generals to be in like the 1700s or 1400s where they were like, take that hill, kill everybody. It doesn't matter what needs to happen. Everybody can die. Just do it. And that's the way my brain was where I was like, I will die. I don't care. I'm going to fucking get there. Like, and it, it was so intense and it was so painful, but my brain switched and and knowing that I have 70% more energy than I previously thought. Like, like when I get tired and my body says that you should stop now, you're way too tired and you're going to die, I'm only at 30% of my actual capacity. And I know that now. And it's a wild, wild thing to experience. To, to experience pushing yourself so hard that your spinal cord feels like it's ripping off of your brainstem and your skull is opening up and your eyes are like googly eyes and you can't control them to be in a space of that and then get up and trek nine hours to Everest base camp right after that, after 12 hours of googly eyes and brains falling out, like experiencing that level of, of extreme, just primal fucking 
humanity of just like ripping myself to shreds for a silly reason of getting to base camp on time. <laughs> so it's, I learned a lot. So have you gone to the summit amount ever? I haven't been to the summit yet. Uh, is, it's that, something, is it something it's that's not on the bucket list, but weights or? I, I've been, I've been playing with it. So, um, <clears throat> I've been kind of having this idea of, you know, my, my 30th birthday is coming up in about a year and a half. And I've been like, all right, you know, what do I want to do? I want to complete my bucket list. I'm thinking by 30. And that's an amazing thing in itself. But I've completed 80 of the 100. But at the same time, like, I'm like, there's just something. I don't know if it's another. I did a cage fight. I did an MMA cage fight. Excuse me. And uh, and that was incredibly difficult, training for a cage fight. Anyone out there who's ever done martial arts knows you get your ass kicked daily when you step into the dojo. And to train you know, when you're getting your ass kicked by five dudes, you know, like one after the other, after the other. So I, I've been considering whether I'm going to do another fight or I'm going to climb Everest, um, or what that is for me. Um, but in the meantime, I'm just kind of living life and, uh, kicking these ideas around. It's pretty fun. 80 of a hundred. So you actually, yeah. is this list publicly yeah, available? Yeah, oh, yeah. Is it on your website? It's on my website, the bucket list okay. It's on a few different websites as well. People have published it. Cause it's, it's a crazy list. Like it's not, and you're 80 out around. of the hundred, 80 out of a hundred. <laughs> okay. So I've Do done you some think you're going to make it. By, oh I, yeah, yeah. If I, you I'm said by 30. Yeah. I, then, I, I so there's a couple of them that I need kids for. And so do you need kids for here? I am for any ladies eyes. listening out there who are interested in no, no, well, I am saying that we, so I'm on a, a journey. I don't, I'm literally in my car and we're heading towards Austin, Texas. And I don't yeah. know exactly what I'm doing except heading towards Austin, Texas in my car with my child and wife. And that I put a post up about like any podcast opportunities along. And then you hit me up and I was like, Oh, exactly. For sure. So here I am with my kid. What do you need a kid to do on your bucket list? Life oh, shit. You're right. I yeah, got to yeah, build a tree house for your kid. All right. We got 16 hours. I'm going to do it overnight. It's it's uh, it's dark out now, but I got some hammers. And oh, nails. so that's the bucket list. Uh, build that, a tree house. For a, yeah. build it a doesn't say for my kid. It just says build a tree house. Because I, I, as a kid, I always wanted a tree house. It's such a cool concept, right? And we have... I live on a ranch, you know, like we have 25 acres of forest. And so there's, we have plenty of trees and I know how to build things. Uh, so a tree house couldn't be that hard. And I just think it's such a cool concept. Like for, for my kids, I want them to have that thing that I kind of dreamed of that, that little space that they can go and have as their like little clubhouse or their little place where they can hang out with their friends and, and feel like they're in a little castle or something like that, you know? Wow. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. And I, we did uh, one of my previous guests, Rafe Kelly. Mm-hmm. He um, has his dad built many tree houses in uh, Cedro Woolley, Washington. It's like a village of tree houses. So you might have wow. to check that. We, we did our like bonus night for one of our events there. It's beautiful. That's crazy. So you stayed in the tree house? Uh, we... We stayed in. I stayed in the gypsy wagon. There's all <laughs> under the apple orchard, <laughs> but they course, have many tree houses. Yeah, it's really incredible. Wow. Yeah. Anyways, that's, cool. that's a little side note. So here we are. Eighty. This is a grand story. I love this story. Uh, thank you for uh, participating in it, creating it, doing it all. Yeah. And I love also that 80 out of 100, regardless, what is success? Just a one out of 100. What is success to write down a 100? You wrote down 100 things that you wanted to do. Yeah. They were like dreams of yours to do. That's a big deal in itself. Yeah. To claim that, like, that that's my truth, that I, this is what I want for my life. And, and I'll be honest, when I person when I wrote that, I was in a really dark place where... 
I didn't think that I'd ever do it. Like, honestly, it wasn't like, I want to do it. This is what I'm doing. So what compelled you to do this? Is uh, like, what, was there a, mo- like, what, yeah, I want to know about that moment and yeah. this cave, this cave of consciousness that what compelled you to kind of create your way out of it by writing some dreams down. Yeah. Well, there was, uh, there was a show on MTV and it was called, uh, it's called the buried life. And it, uh, and they do a lot of crazy stuff. They go on the red carpet and, and they were some friends traveling in a school bus, uh, all around America, crossing off their bucket list items and helping people cross off their items. And I thought that was such a cool concept and they were doing things that they thought they could never do. And that was, that was what really struck me is when they wrote that, they were like, okay, we're going to write a list and it's not, what do I think I can do? It's like, if there was no limit on money, no limit on like who I am in this world, it's just, what are the most incredible things? Like they want to play basketball with the president. Like they want to do, you know, all these, walk the red carpet with the stars and they find ways to make it happen and they did it. And so it inspired me uh, to just start writing. And as I started writing, uh, as I said before, you know, it was, it was a list where it was almost a mental light at the end of the tunnel. It was like this like possibility outside of my darkness. Cause in this moment I was, I was suicidal. I was depressed. I was not in a good space. It's almost like fantasizing. Yeah. But like fantasizing. And this is like why I think it's extremely important what people fantasize about, mm. especially if someone's conscious enough to kind of symbologize their fantasies. Mm. put them into mm. symbols put the power of their fantasies into symbols i think that's a big deal do you have any do you have like recommendations for people around this topic yeah <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah i would love to hear <laughs> Been them. doing it for a little because i have like well, i am i know you're an awesome guy that has so many adventures that seem to overlap with mine in different ways and i'm like yeah. who is this person but yeah. yeah i would like to hear from that side of you for people it's so important yeah how can we help people understand yeah. like, uh, the when- power of symbolizing their dreams in the form of a bucket list or whatever it may exactly. be. Exactly. Yeah. So like the, the first thing is understanding that when you're creating this, you're not this, this fantasy or this idea or this bucket list or, or whatever you'd like to call it wishing on birthday candles. I don't care. It's expressing your greatest desires. And you're not saying this is what I'm going to do. You're saying that at some point, I hope that I can become the person who can actually accomplish these things. So let's say uh, it's, I want to uh, donate a million dollars to charity. Can you donate a million dollars to charity right now? No, you probably don't have a million dollars liquid cash to just donate uh, right now. But you're hoping to actually work towards that goal to actually one day do that. So, So when you're writing it, understand that you're not saying what's possible for me now with my bank account, with my school loan debt, with my, you know, my business, or I have kids, I have this, so I can't do this. You, you, you know, we put all these, these little barriers on what we can do. And I'm not trying to break through all those at this moment. You know, yes, that's something that, that is, is worth looking into is like, okay, is this actually a, um, a barrier for me? But right now, all I'm saying is write things that don't have barriers because in reality, and you'll hear it and it's a little bit cliche, you don't have barriers. You know, it's all in here. It's all mindset stuff. You know, um, some of them are real momentarily. Sometimes you don't have cash. Sometimes you are broke as heck or you just had a kid. So maybe it's not the right time to go travel the world or maybe it is. That's up to you. But at the same time, understand that when you're writing these things or when you're putting, even if it's not a bucket list, it's just writing down a fantasy or thinking about it. Understand that it's not necessarily for this version of you. It's for the version you can become. 
And I'm imagining that you, you, I'm imagining you believe that makes that version much more likely to become that by writing it down. Yeah, because you're claiming that this is my truth, and and oftentimes I find that people are scared and of actually claiming that this is what I want to do, and they make up all kinds of excuses of saying, you know, like, oh well, I don't want to write it down because what if I don't do it? Then I'll be sad or mad or whatever. It's like no, like just sack up, write down what the hell you want in this life, even if you don't even think you can accomplish it because I didn't think I could accomplish anything on that list, but I wrote it down because I wanted it and I claimed it. And the first step is writing it down. And there are some barriers to that of, of the mental, you know, the fear and the, the things that come up of, well, I'm broke or well, my family or I'm this way, but you write it down. And the next step is planning it. And the planning it is actually pretty simple. You Google, how much does this cost? What time of year should I be doing this? How much time would it take to save up for something like this? What order should I do this? What can I do for free? That kind of things. Taking a leap is a whole nother thing. That's that's where you get back into the fear of saying, all right, like we're going to have to make a decision and we're going to actually have to actually take action on this or we simply are wishing on birthday candles. And it's just going to be another piece of paper that I file into a drawer somewhere as opposed to what it could be, which is architecting your life. It could be the blueprints for your life. And as you're looking at this, when I, when I looked at this, I had no idea that I wanted to travel so much. Remember, I had never been out of, out of the country at this point. And I looked at this and I go, how many countries are on this list? And I looked, there was 12 countries that I, that I was going to be going to on this list. And I was just, I was blown away because I never thought that I wanted to go anywhere. Maybe Hawaii or Disneyland or something. I guess maybe all-inclusive Mexico for a cruise or something. But in general, I had no conscious desire to travel until I started to really sit down and I was reading, I was getting inspiration from other people's bucket lists. I was going online, typing in the craziest festivals on earth, wildest parties, funnest things, you know, most epic adventures. And I was like, oh my gosh, Machu Picchu looks amazing. I want to go to Machu Picchu. Whoa, I want to go bungee jumping in the jungle. Like, let's do all this crazy stuff. And I started to write this down and I'm like, I can, you know, ride on the head of an elephant through the jungle in Thailand. I want to do that. And, you know, now I don't support that as much, but at the time that was what I loved. So it was, it was all right. And it, uh, it truly became a blueprint for my life. And I was able to look at things from that, as I said before, that 30,000-foot view, looking at my life on a piece of paper of, wow, this is the direction that I want to start taking my life. It was vastly different from what I thought it was going to be. And it's important, I think, to look at that, to actually claim it. That's what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Talk about it. That's some good stuff right there. Soak it up. So um, what I was, I remember when we were talking over online, I was thinking about the idea of making tribe design as a bucket list lifestyle adventure. So I want to keep, if you have any epiphanies on how we can team up, because the way I've done it, um, I haven't necessarily kept a list, which is why this is so cool for me to consider. It's like, man, I've more been like, what do I want to do? And I just, I just go and do it real yeah. quick. Like I have this, some sort of accountability that I'm like, I got to take it. And actually it's funny. You said that, what are we doing if we're not doing this? Um, I, I had that epiphany recently in Maui. I'm like, if we don't take action on this one right now, like we're letting perfection get in the way of great and we're just bullshitting ourselves. So do y'all want to do this or not? And it was about like yeah. investing into this uh, tribal house, like a co- community living center. Mm-hmm. And although it has not been finalized, we did look more and more into it. Because yeah, I had that stages. question. I had like, yeah, we got to take action on this. Otherwise, it's just a fantasy. Yeah, I love it. That's yeah. the vision. I, I see you as like the visionary and action taker as well. 
Um, but like, that's what, like, as I interacted with you the first couple times that I met you, I, I saw you as like the dude, like the dude who you would say something powerful. Like, Hey, I have this vision. I have this dream. And, and people are attracted to, to the energy that you put out when you say like, we're going to, we're going to help people. Like we're going to change not only our lives. Cause of course, as we evolve doing something huge and scary like this, we're going to not only show people what's possible, but they're going to be a part of it. Like they're going to be in this home experiencing our energy, experiencing what we're bringing to the world with, with tribe design. It's, it's amazing. And I love it. Um, have you on Netflix, have you seen that show, the greatest party that never happened or something like that? I, I haven't looked at it. I, I saw it as I was scrolling through. Yeah, I watched through. it on the plane ride. Oh, was yeah. it Fire with Fire Festival? Yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I did see that. I did oh, you see did watch yeah, yeah, yeah. that. What do you think about that? What did that oh bring gosh. up for you? Because I was pretty, Yeah. I, I could empathize in a lot of ways. I'm like, man, this is such a tightrope yeah. this guy was walking. And he, yep. he, he, it sounds like from this, they made it sound like he lost it. Uh, but anyways, I would like to know what you uh, that brought up yeah, for yeah. you. It's okay. So with with the fire festival thing, I think it's uh, if you're a business owner, uh, take all of the marketing stuff that he did to actually fill this trip and and actually use that as fuel. Be like, wow, he did a great job marketing. Everything else was not, and 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 that's and that's the important thing to understand your strengths and your weaknesses. This dude needs to understand that he needs a right hand man or woman who can actually do all of the, the hard shit. Cause it's not easy to actually take all of these people. I mean, I run events, you run events. You understand that there are actual logistical issues that come up with, okay, how do we have enough Wi-Fi for everyone when we have everybody on at the same time? And we're in a country like Costa Rica or Thailand or Bali that doesn't necessarily have the strongest band, strongest bandwidth. If you're taking, you know, like a hundred people somewhere how the heck are we going to transport these people all over this island or this place? Like it's re- airport transfers. There, there's so much happening that that I I feel for I feel for the people who were on his team that were investing all of their energy and their love into this project, and uh, and were basically kind of screwed over by this guy who didn't recognize his faults and his own shortcomings and take action on those. Cause I, I, I understand what I suck at. I suck at accounting and I suck currently at the backend paperwork of my business. Any kind of like actual doing, putting things into spreadsheets, I can't do it. And so I have the best right-hand man in the world, Jerome, and Jerome loves that stuff. Man, he, is an en- he was an engineer for the Canadian government. His brain works like, just like a Swiss watch. It's incredible to like, he will just do spreadsheet after spreadsheet and he loves it. And he'll send it to me. It'll be so beautiful. And I'm like, uh, can you call and read this to me? Cause I don't want to even read the paper. I want to have a conversation. Like that's, that's the kind of guy that I am. It's like, I want to actually talk. I want to feel you. I want to see you. And I want to actually like, are you pumped about this? And, and I understand it's so important that the flashier your business, this, this is so important for anyone who has like a flashy business, event planning, uh, anything where it's like, hey, boom, we're doing this epic thing. You need to understand the flashier your business is, the harder you got to work on the back end. And the more of a dog you got to be with the kind of stuff like the actual logistics and like all of the accounting and the understanding of your funnels and, and understanding of, of the back end of your business. If, you're get, if you get caught up, which it's so easy to do, 
in this festival kind of a mentality of running things of just like oh it's going to be dope it's going to be amazing we got all these incredible people and then everything falls apart behind the scenes you got to be you got to be a leader not only with the face of the company but you got to be a leader on the back end you know you're, you got to be the one awake at 6 a.m to be answering your you know your web guy my web guys in pakistan I'm at 6 a.m. answering his questions and trying to go through the back end of my website with him so he can make sure to do the best job he can. I'm a dog at the back of my of my business because I understand that it's easy to get pulled into fun. And I, I'm going to have fun either way. I'm going to have fun. That's, that's a fact. But if I'm only in this business just to have fun, then it's not going to actually be successful in the long run. I'm running a business here. Running a business is not necessarily easy. It can be simple. It can create freedom in your life, but it's not necessarily long-term. If For me personally, the impact that I want to create in the world, it takes leadership and it takes time. And I'm building a beast of a business from the ground up with great strategy and a good solid foundation to where we're going to be around for decades. And we're going to change thousands of people's lives. And I know it. And it's going to be because I'm working the back end of my business and I'm out there smiling and I'm out there having a great time and jumping off high things and belly flopping into water and going crazy and spraying beer bottles all over the place and cracking champagne, sabering that shit. You know, like I, I, I can be the crazy guy and I could be the leader in the back end too. So important. Mm, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Talk about that. Let that soak in. Consider, consider that. Yeah, I think I I have a bias. I have a judgment. Like anyone that I can meet that I know that runs successful, consecutive successful events for strangers to spend the night together in a new place that they don't exactly know what's going on, and they do that multiple times, I just have a um a biased respect for. Yeah, I think it's just it's just knowing that like, all right, he's got it. Like it, especially if those people are coming back. So like. Over 50% of our people that go on our trips are return customers, are people that went on a trip and they were like, oh my God, I, I love this. I want to go on another one. What's the next one? And they'll just book their flights for the next trip. We had that in Peru. Uh, we only had like three or four people um, signed up for the trip after Peru, which is Thailand. And uh, this out of seven, we only take seven people each time. And uh, like, I think three or four people from the Peru trip were like, we're going next month. Like just sign me up. We're going to Thailand too. And that's such a cool thing. If, if you're in a business where you're getting m- more than half of your customers are repeat customers and or friends of friends uh, from people who've heard about it, that's a big thing too. I think that's, that says something about what kind of value you're providing to the world. Okay, so each trip that you're offering is for seven people. Is that my understanding? Seven people maximum. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's yeah. cool. And it's all application only, so it's not like just anybody with a credit card. It's yeah, every, I, yeah. I, I personally talk with every person, and I make sure that it's all about group dynamics and energy because it's not just where you're going and what we're doing. It's not about the itinerary. It's about who you're experiencing these things with because the people that you're traveling with can make or break a trip. I could take someone on the dopest trip to India ever. We're doing, we're, you know, like seeing wild elephants and we're, you know, like experiencing we're yogis and going to all these temples and we go to the Taj Mahal and see and experience and feel. 
And at the same time, if we have Larry in the back and he's just bitching about his feet the whole time, and he's like, my feet hurt. What is there? The air conditioning isn't cold enough. It only goes to 47. And it's like, Larry, I'm sorry, but we're in India. You got to calm down and experience things fully from where, where you're at. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So what is the uh, out of the 20 or so that are roughly that are left? Is it literally 80 out of 20? 80, you know, oh, exactly. you know the exact. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny to me because I did. I counted 20, you counted 80. So what are uh, some of the next 20? Yeah. So there, there's some on there that are that are challenging and there's some that are actually pretty easy. So What's I, the most challenging and, oh. and then you think the, the one that's most easy to have the most fun on? So I'd say that the... The one that I'm most excited and like an easier one is to learn guitar. Uh, I want to learn the Spanish guitar. Um, I, I've always wanted to, and I haven't actually done it. I started to learn, and I thought about crossing it off, but really what, what I consider to like know how to play guitar is where I can just pick it up and just play. Even if I don't, if I'm not playing a specific song, I'm just playing and making and riffing my own stuff. And I can't do that currently, so I can't cross that off. Um, so I would say that's like the easier and one that I'm excited about doing soon. <clears throat> Hmm. Uh, I would say there is, there is one that is uh, having a million dollars in investments. And that's something that I'm working towards now. I, I almost crossed that off and I decided not to, I want to make it a little harder for myself. So, uh, I, I had an offer for 10% of my business for a hundred grand. And that technically means that my business is valued at a million dollars. And I was like, I have, I'm the owner, sole owner of a million dollar company. I had an offer for a hundred grand. I said no, uh, but for ten percent, and so it's a million dollar investment. But I was like, ah, I want to, I want to like real. I want to earn it. And and sometimes I do that on this bucket list. It, the, I never cheat. I I never ever cheat on this bucket list. I I'm very very like stern because I'm like I I'm not. This isn't for anyone else. This and it, when when it comes to my list, like I help other people cross off their stuff, but my list is super important to me as a human being, just me. And I'm not gonna cheat anyone else, and I'm not gonna cross anything off that list that isn't fully a hundred percent. Like I feel it. Like I've ex- I've had this experience on Earth, because it's something that is so important to me that I'll feel real shitty if I cross something off and it's out there in the whole world and it says like, uh, go hang gliding. And I like, all I did was like, I ran with the guy and then we aborted because the, the, you know, the wind was off. So we had to stop, but technically I was attached to a hang glider and we were running and the wind was kind of under it. So I kind of hung, no, like that doesn't count. It's not crossed off, which actually happened by the way. <laughs> wow. Wow, man. And then are these going to be ones that are offered through your experiences? Uh, no. So here's the interesting thing yeah. is. All of my experiences that I offer, public trips, we do private trips as well, but our public trips are things that I've already done. And all I did, so I went around the world doing the funnest shit possible. Uh, I went to every wonder of the world, every cultural festival on earth, and I just had like all of the, the incredible places and things that people wanted to experience. I did this by myself. And so I made a list of what are the top 10 experiences any human being can have on earth? What are the most fun, epic, amazing experiences and then I just wrote an itinerary for them. And I said, all right, here's photos that I took. Like, let's go. And ever since then, now, and then I bring a videographer with us every time. So now we have like, people are seeing how much fun people are having. And they're hearing these testimonials of people saying, this was literally the best week of my entire life to hear that from someone. And that's, and that happens week, you know, time after time after time. I mean, that is, 
it's a powerful thing. So now I'm running those 10 trips a year, uh, public, and then I'm running the private ones. Like we just did a private trip to Africa. That was insane. We lived with tribes. We went hunting with tribes. We climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, the highest freestanding mountain on the planet. Um, you know, we went on safari. Yeah, I'm pretty curious about that adventure. What did y'all hunt? Uh, anything that we could find. It was and literally. what was the weapon and how oh, was Oh, it was a hunt? handmade bow and arrow. So th- the, this tribe called, is it called the Hodsda tribe. They're the oldest uh, tribe on the planet. 50,000 years old. This tribe has been together. Hodsda and or Hodsda Bay, depending on who you ask. Um and this tribe, they are nomads, and they have pretty much no possessions. The only possessions they have is their bow, and they make their arrows by hand uh, with just their knife. So they have a knife and a bow and then any arrows that they just made. And the Hadza hunt are hunter and gatherers, and the men will hunt in the morning and the evening. And if they don't get anything, they will continue to hunt. The hunt doesn't stop because they are responsible for feeding their tribe. And there's usually 30 to 50 people in each tribe. And there's about... 1,200 to 1,400 Hadza total, and there's a bunch of tribes, 30, 50, 30, 50, um, all over, and they're nomadic. And so when we were finding them, we literally, they were nomadic. And not like we can just call them on the cell phone, hey, where are you today? It's like we had to literally drive into the bush and just like looking for like hours <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, like where are they? And eventually, and they sleep under trees, and they don't have, they have babies and elderly people and everything a normal small community would have. Um, and I, I truly learned actually really learned, not just as a concept, but really learned that there's no such thing as need. There's no such thing as I, I need Wi-Fi. I need coffee in the morning. I need this to, to be content with life. Cause they were, they were content. They were happy. They were smiling, having fun. And we were dancing and, you know, like they were singing songs around the fire and, and it was a beautiful thing and telling stories. And, and we got to ask them questions back and forth, one-to-one. They would ask a question about the outside world. We would ask a question about their tribe because they had never seen a Western person. They had, th- this was an uncontacted tribe. Uh, we had two separate... We had the Maasai was an uncontacted tribe we stayed with for the first night. And the Hadza, we hunted and stayed with them and lived with them after that. Um, neither one had experienced a Western person. So having questions like, how many wives do you have? Or, you know, like we would, I'd ask questions like, you know, other tribes have, have, you know, goats and crops and things like this. Why do you choose to not have a life that other, other tribes choose? And he says, this is the way my ancestors did it. This is the way I do it. And this is the way my people will do it. And that's, that's the only answer that you get or need from the chief. You know, when he says like, this is just the way that we do it. This is the Hadza, the Hadza way. We travel, we're hunter-gatherers, we're badasses, and they are badasses. Trust me. We were hunting. Those dudes were, like, running and, like, whoo, like, shooting. For anyone who can't see in the video that you're just listening to audio, whoo, just imagine my arms on a bow and arrow, uh, shooting little things, birds and stuff out of the air, and it was wild. Wow, that sounds like a a very breaking normal experience. Um, Did you hunt anything when you were there? Yeah. Did you kill anything? uh, They let me shoot the bow and arrow, but not at an animal because it was too much of a, like, it's so important for them to actually get the kill because the limited amount of arrows they're making on arrows the and animals. Like it's not, there's not a lot of animals there. And so like we hunted for six hours 
that first morning, but the night before we hunted for probably four and a half hours. And each time we got, um, one bush baby, which is like a tiny little monkey thing. It's like the cutest thing in the world actually. (laughs) But, um, and, uh, and they, they literally, they make fire with a stick. Like they just rub a stick and it will cause, you know, like the smoke and the ash and ember and they'll make a fire and it takes them like literally 10 seconds or less. Just for me, it would take me an hour and a half at least, but they do it in 10 seconds. And then they just throw the bush baby, all the the fur on it, everything. They just throw it on the fire and they just like, after it's killed, of course, and they just throw it on the fire and it just cooks whole. And they just take a knife and just cut off little pieces and handed it to us. Like, handed it out to the tribe just right there and what, what did that taste like chicken rabbit you know just like a little bit gamey chicken it wasn't bad at all except for they handed my uh the guy who i was taking they handed him the face of the monkey <laughs> and he's like looking at it like how do i eat this and he asked them like how do i eat this and, and we had a translator they speak a click language which is really interesting as well um and asked him how do i eat this and he just the guy just grabs the monkey face and just throws it in his mouth he's just like you just eat it <laughs> <laughs> they don't waste anything. They don't waste anything. They ate the tail. They ate the feet, the face, everything. Did they not um, – they didn't take the organs out or did they uh, take they, the they organs did out take first? The, they, no, so they eat all the organs except for um, – So the they cook the thing whole without cutting it? Yeah. And they just cook it over the bush I – mean, over the everything. bush fire. And then they, and they, and then they, what, they just take out – what did you say? The stomach? You didn't. The intestines. And the so intestines. just like the – colon and stuff like wow. that. Wow, who eats the heart? Is there, is there anything around that? It wasn't. No, it was just everyone right, was just, just eating, whatever, eating right? everyone yeah, just okay. grabbing and just like throwing pieces. And Ooh. Yeah, it was, uh, and, and they had another one the second day and uh, a bird as well. But we got to, we actually have an arrow in my bedroom. It's 20 feet away from us right now. Uh, I was able to take That's home. Where is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it has blood on it from that bush baby actually um, because afterwards we were doing uh, some uh, some practice like shooting on a little target, little piece of wood. And I got the bullseye right away. And so they gave me that arrow as like a, you know, like awesome, good job. And, uh, they took off the arrowhead cause they knew I couldn't, I can't travel with an arrowhead or whatever. And also it's like worth a lot to them. Like an arrowhead is not, they actually have to go to a, a Tonga tribe and, uh, it's near them about 20 miles away who are the blacksmith tribe and they have to do trading with them in order to get their um, their arrowheads. And they have poison arrowheads too because the sap from the trees, they know which trees are poisonous and they can get poison arrowheads to take down big game. Whoa. Whoa. For, there's just a few synchronicities uh, glittered in there. The Ironsmith, my last name, Eisenman, which means Iron Man. Wow. And uh, there's so much. The Bush Baby, I just want to be clear, is that a monkey? It is the smallest primate. It is like the world's smallest primate. It, it's the cutest thing. It looks like a koala bear. It's like a little fuzzy koala bear. And it was like, it, it was pretty brutal, but it was at the end of the day, like these people are not hunting for fun. They are hunting anything that moves that they can put in their bodies and the bodies of the mothers who have babies. And Other than humans. Yes. Other than humans. Other than, yeah, they do not. Although there, I didn't realize there still are cannibal tribes in Africa and the Congo. Yeah. yeah, that's what the Democratic Republic of the Congo. There are still cannibal tribes. Uh, I was reading a story of um, one of my idols, and uh, who's he, that? 
as I said that, I was like, fuck, I forgot his name. <laughs> I forgot his name. I but like I've read that. all of his stuff. Like, I, I know like everything that. about That's his a, life. Well, the Tao Te Ching does say the best way to take the power away from something is to name it. So oh, maybe you Okay, were... well, all right. I, I genuinely totally forgot this guy's <laughs> name. But I've, I've read everything about this guy's life. He was actually eaten by a giant crocodile. Uh, he was. Yeah. So he's no longer. He is no longer with us. Uh, he was eaten by a crocodile. Yeah. What, do you know what the story, what that, yeah, what he happened? Was, so he's one of the, the world's. Um, like leading was one of the world's leading uh, kayakers and he would go off all of these waterfalls in Africa that no one else had done before. And normally he has a bunch of um, pieces of life jacket that when the crocodiles come to chase him, he just throws out the life jacket and the crocodiles go for the life jackets and then he paddles away really fast. And, and so time after time, you know, there was these stories of crocodiles trying to get him, but he escaped basically every time. And obviously he's a super powerful kayaker. He's the best in the world. And he was going off. So he would take the best kayakers in the world, like dudes who are world champion kayakers. He would take them on these rivers and down these waterfalls to show them like, Hey, this is the next level stuff here in Africa. And he was taking six people and he was in the back and they heard, they said that they, they heard a splash and they turned around and it was a crocodile so big came directly up underneath the water, sorry, underneath the boat came up to the side of him, grabbed him and pulled him out of his kayak. His kayak was, didn't even move, pulled him out. But here's the thing. They said that the head didn't even come out all the way out of the water. That's how big this crocodile was, that it's, it was so big that it could grab a man, pull it out, and its head didn't even leave the water. They said it must have been 30 feet. <laughs> wow. First of all, that is ridiculously um, like sad. I'm like, whoa. It's, and this guy that was leading someone else on these two. He knew he knew the danger he was in, and he talked about it all the time. And he was very um, – the reason why I even brought him up was because he almost died uh, by a cannibal tribe. He was he was kayaking around a boat going down a river. There's a giant boat um, taking people, like, long distances down the river. He, was, he needed to work out, so he'd kayak around at 2 o'clock in the morning and uh, stand-up paddle boards. Uh, all th- this tribe had stand-up paddle boards, basically. There was, like, traditional, legit stuff. And they all... So there was, like, four guys on one paddle board. And they were all in sync, paddle boarding towards him. And they were coming from both angles. And they took a lasso, a rope, like a lasso, and they lassoed him and pulled him in. And they had spears as well. Uh, so it was, like, there was the paddlers, and they also had dudes with spears on these stand-up paddle boards, and he was screaming, of course, the dude in the kayak, screaming, and they put a giant spotlight on him, and there was the two, you know, him in the middle, the two stand-up paddle boards, and they're about to kill him, and he screams, the guy from the boat screams, like, no, that's our white man, you don't kill him, and they say, this is our white man, we're gonna, you know, we're, it's ours, you know, fair and square, we need to eat him, and uh, he doesn't speak the language, so, except for like just a little bit, which was, you know, just saying like, no, please don't kill me basically. And the, eventually the people talked him out saying, Hey, if you kill a white man, then there's going to be a whole bunch of military and police will come and they'll kill all of you. Uh, so, you know, don't, don't kill a white man basically. And so they let him go. They let, took off the lasso and let him go, but he almost got eaten basically by a cannibal tribe. Um, and he talks about it. Where in, in Africa? Do you know where? The this Congo, is, Democratic the, Republic of the Congo. Yeah, I don't know where in the Congo because it's a big country. But man. yeah, it blows my mind. I didn't know that it was still a thing until I started researching him. And he said, yeah, apparently there's still cannibal tribes. And then this crocodile thing, do you know where that happened? 
It was also in the Congo. Wow, man, yeah. that place just sounds. Yeah, it's like the middle, like the heart of Africa, like the upper middle. It's it's wild. The, the, have the you been there? To the Congo? I've never been to the Congo. Have you been to Cairns, Australia? Uh, yeah, I have. What yeah. do you think of that place? Are you, the way it. you're talking about the Congo reminds me, like, not I. I imagine the Congo is much more extreme, but I remember being in Cairns and feeling very like. I went to the Daintree Rainforest and yeah, felt yeah. very uneasy. Everyone was telling me about all the things that could kill someone. Absolutely, yeah. It's 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 wild, especially in the Amazon. So like that's that's where I felt uneasy was in the Amazon when I realized I was out there by myself at night, just a couple steps off the trail. Uh, and I had to go pee and I was like, I'll just take a couple steps off the trail. And I started, and it was totally silent. And I realized it was nighttime and I realized I was like, Jaguars exist. <laughs> I was like, that's a thing. Like Panthers and Jaguars are, are a thing out here and they will mess me. Like they will kill me. And it, it was wild to be scared. Cause I hadn't been scared in a long time. You know, like I'm, I'm like, I'm Chase Berenger. I'm, I'm this adventurer. Like I, I don't get scared anymore. Like I've done so many crazy things. You don't even know. And then I get in the jungle and I'm like, Oh shit. I don't want to be eaten alive. Please don't eat my stomach. <laughs> like wow. it's my stomach. Please don't eat it. And, and it's wild. And one of the tribesmen in Africa, he was attacked by a leopard. His entire body was covered in horrible scars. They look like, I thought he was in a fire. So I thought he was burned. you know what the story behind that was? Yeah. Was yeah. He He's hunting. No, that? he was a kid. He was uh, like 10 years old. And even kids, they do chewing tobacco. And he oh, said, I was going to ask you about that. I was going to ask you about what the tribes use. Yeah, and, their, and weed too, marijuana they and chewing use, tobacco. How do they get weed? Just trade it uh, No, they grow it. They, but they, <laughs> they're nomadic. So what they do is they, they, they take the seeds from the, you know, like they pick out the seeds. And they, as they're walking, they'll, they'll plant them. And it's three years. They'll be back in the same area again. So they have all this weed in this circle, basically, and they have tons of weed. And so we brought them weed as a gift. Uh, we brought them a bunch of weed. So because like we're finding out what people value is the best way to actually get something that you want. It's not just money. Yeah. For an experience like that, you can't just say, here's a bunch of money. They don't want money. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, want yeah. things that they value, which is weed <laughs> and, and arrowheads. So we brought them weed and arrowheads and they were pumped. It was great. And water. Water is important too. So they're on this loop, a three-year loop? Three-year loop, yeah. <laughs> and how did you? Uh, yeah, I never bounced around, but that's kind of yeah. Like it's it's all good. Congo, like Africa, looping too. So this loop. <laughs> how did you like know about this? Like, are other people able to take a group? Um, no. How did you arrange this? So, um, where was the the, the uh, inspiration? Well, here's the thing. So this is the way that these private adventures work. Is in a nutshell, they just say like, uh, someone, for example, like this guy. He asked me. He said, "Hey, I want to." truck with gorillas i want a healing from the maasai medicine woman and uh and i want to go on a safari everything else you come up with and here's my budget and then i just thought like okay like that's some somewhat crazy shit but i this is the bucket list lifestyle like we're gonna do some really stuff like some really crazy stuff so we like uh went hot air ballooning over like all of the cheetahs and giraffes and the serengeti and stuff and then all you know the tribe visits um we, we actually stayed with the Maasai and, and got to meet their shaman and the shaman experience was a whole different, Oh my God, that was incredible. Um, but like I, I gave them experiences that no one would expect and no one would even ask for. Like 
I want to go hunting with the Hazda is not something that someone would come to me with. But when they hear about it and they like, oh, the way they gather honey is they have like these massive bees nests and the women go with giant sticks and they have to take the honey and it's just falling down into these giant burlap sacks uh, and like learning and like berry picking and learning what's poisonous, what's not. Learning about the roots and, and the medicines that they have for 50,000 years, how they've kept their people alive. It's, it's incredible. So, so when someone comes to me and just says like, oh, I want to do this basic stuff and here's my budget, I say, okay, we're going to do this basic stuff and we're going to do all these other crazy things for that same price. And that's, that's kind of what makes, I think, my company different than a lot of other companies is I don't take things at face value. I don't just say, okay, it's good enough and it's cheaper to do it this way. You know, it's like, what is the craziest thing that we can think of? Just like my very first trip. I literally just thought like, what's the craziest thing that I could possibly think of? And then I just make it happen. And, and the way that I make it happen is through people. I, I don't just go onto Google and just say like, oh, what, you know, how do I make this happen? Sometimes I do, but overall, overall, I'll find someone in the country. That's either through Facebook, Instagram, or, you know, if I really can't find someone, for example, I needed a, um, a trekking guide for gorillas in Uganda. I, I couldn't get a connection. So I had to reach out on Facebook and I literally just Facebook, Hey, who knows a trekking guide, gorilla guide in Uganda. And I had like 15 people commented. It was crazy. So, um, I, I, I use people and, and I understand that money is not the greatest currency, um, like relationships and, and understanding what they value and giving that to them. Cause a lot of these, you can't just give a shaman a hundred bucks and say, you know, Hey, here, here's a hundred bucks for these Westerners go, you know, tell them whatever you want to tell them. It's fine. No, no, no. It's like, you need to understand and actually have communication with these people of like how much respect that we're coming to you with. And, and that there, we're not saying you need to do this. You need to do this. There is no, uh, there's no plan. So for example, with the shaman, I, I told them straight up, I said, I will create the space for magic to happen, but I cannot tell you what will happen. I cannot tell you what, will what kind of a if he's going to give you a reading or a future or what's going on in your life I, I can't tell you any of that i'm just simply putting you and the maasai shaman in the same room together alone and whatever happens with a translator and whatever happens after that is whatever happens and that's where the adventure is right you know you can't plan adventure you can only create space for adventure yeah, I can relate to that so much. That's like with the tribe designs. Why so? In all of the retreats I've ever done, people want an itinerary. When we first started running retreats, our itinerary was to expect nothing and experience everything. And that's that's how we did it when we did the Rob Ross retreat. So I can so relate to that. And man, what a! I I guess we could go on for days, and maybe Seriously. we will one day. Maybe yeah, we'll yeah, go yeah. on for days. Maybe we'll go on an adventure. I think there's some sort of like I know we will. possible sin, like partnership or synergy between both of our like these epic experiences. Well, that's the thing. It's like so having like who out there listening right now would want to go on an adventure with both of us. That's the, that's like the question is like buy one get one free, basically of saying all right. People who, okay. whether you know me before this or not, you know me now, that's for damn sure, or people who know me but have no idea who Daniel is, understand that like, hey, if I can travel with dope people, like guaranteed dope people, because it's always application only. and like That's if how I, we did tribe design too, applications. Yeah, so yeah. I, I know these people are going to be my, my tribe, my same vibe. And, and what, the way that I do it, something very unique, is I actually get the first three people and then I design the rest of the group around those people. 
So like I, I understand like okay, for example, running with the bulls, we had like a uh, like three twenty one to twenty three year olds dudes sign up, and then a fifty four year old teacher from uh, Wisconsin wanted to sign up, and I was like, you're not gonna have a good time. I'm I, I'm telling you right now, I think that you're gonna have a great time if you go running with the bulls with uh, another tour company, but if you go with these guys, you're not gonna have fun. I can guarantee you that because they're fucking crazy. And they're going to be rowdy and they already paid their money and they are, they're already in, you know? So it's like, if, if you go, it's going to be a constant battle of your energy versus theirs. And that's not what we want. So, yeah, I can, I hear that. So what would be, let's, let's just do a little uh, fantasizing before we uh, conclude this. This is uh, cause like, I, I know we need some sort of creative constraint to contain this adventure. <laughs> it is. It's all over. It's just like waiting. our lives, man. It's like our lives. Like, like it's all over the place. One second we're in India. One second we're in Africa. One second we're in the Amazon. So it's just like our lives. And those this podcast. three places I don't think I've been to, but it is very likely you would have found me on this Hawaiian Island or this Central yeah. American country or this exactly. crazy place. Anyways, what what would be most exciting? Do you think? Do you have a hunch of if we were going to procure an adventure together? Interesting. What is the most exciting possibility in your heart or mind right now? I'm yeah. Just okay. Myself that too. First of all, I'd like anyone listening to this to comment below uh, what what place they would think is most exciting to actually go on a trip with both of us. Uh, so it, no matter what we say, also just comment what mm-hmm. you think is like that. something that you think is is super kick ass uh the first thing that comes to me is not a festival uh the first thing that comes to me uh is potentially central or south american i i i really really love both of those and i think our vibes are are really well like it's a good place for both of us because we're both very adventurous and we're both very tapped in spiritually and we're both very like also chill like we can both just like we understand how to sit on the most beautiful beach, maybe grab a surfboard, jump in the ocean for a while, mm-hmm. uh, and relax. So, what comes to mind for me is Costa Rica, Peru, Colombia, things like that. You know. Mm. Yeah. Then what started coming to mind to me when you said that is, uh, have you been to San Blas in Panama? I have not. There's this. I've heard le- good things. Yeah. There's allegedly these like indigenous tribes. They'll take you out and like go lobster fish and just living off the land. Oh dang. And it's not a, like necessarily a touristy experience. It's more like you hire a local, yeah, um, indigenous guide. Interesting. That is. That is. Maybe we'll bring them some weed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, actually, <laughs> we I've heard are in Oregon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We can we can definitely make that happen. I'm sure somehow. So, um, are we, we're gonna say you heard what? Uh, well, I've also heard that on Corn Island, uh, which is on the east coast of Nicaragua, there's also, um, it's very like Caribbean-like, and it's they have some lobster diving there and some really dope things. Uh, on the other, I've been uh, I've been to some islands just off the coast of Nicaragua, and it's... Uh, okay, I'm getting a bigger hunch now. Have you been to Cuba? I have. Oh, I've not been to Cuba. Oh. I'm feeling like some Cuba vibes. I've Dude, not been it's, there. It is the most challenging country. It's beautiful, all the good things, right? But it is the most challenging place to travel to because here's the deal. So there's they have these things called oh we're gonna talk forever uh, casa particulares, which are like homestays, and you'll you'll book one 
and you'll go in and they'll be like, oh, no, we gave it to somebody else. But my cousin Tito, you know, down the street, he's got a Casa Particulares too. So, like, let's go over there and they'll walk you there and be like, hey, Tito, like, you know, come down, come down. <laughs> it's like, hey, this, you know, can you do you have space? And he's like, ah, no, but Maria does in the back. Like, and you got to go, like, walk through. <laughs> like, that. that's literally every night there was like that where you book things and they were never – there's no such thing as just a bus service that arrives on time. Uh, all those old cars, by the way, pretty much all of them are actually taxis. They don't say taxi, but you can just wave your arm and a random 1950s Cadillac will pick you up and you just give them a buck and they'll take you anywhere you want to go. Uh, it, it's really wild. Like I had that experience where I, I rode all the way from the north of the island where Havana is all the way down to the south. There's a really beautiful little town. I, I think it's like Isabella, Isabel, something like this. Um, and it's like a colonial town uh cobblestone streets really really beautiful uh restaurants and people and music and culture true cuban culture and uh i think i paid two dollars for a you know private ride down in a 1940s car i forgot what type it was it's crazy yeah that sounds like a grand adventure that sounds like a a a river that you really surrender to the flow to rather than you think thinking that you know it's going to happen which i'm good at yeah i'm good at that but to be a leader of that when everyone's like Mm -hmm. dude where Mm -hmm. are we all staying tonight Mm -hmm. (laughs) what the heck is happening and maybe when you're like hey i paid a thousand dollars a night for this place and they just gave it to someone else (laughs) like you know like (laughs) what you know it's uh it can be a challenge but havana oh my gosh it is incredibly beautiful. If we don't do something together, go, please, just go. Anyone listening, absolutely go. Uh, it's cheap. You can go to Can- Cancun and then just fly over really cheap. Mm. Uh, so round-trip ticket to Cancun and then another round-trip ticket from Cancun to Havana. Um, super cheap. It'll cost you like $450 total like to get from the States to Cancun round-trip and that all together. Cancun is special, too. I, I love the – have you visited the Mayan ruins out yeah. there that, that – Thing. Like to Antelum and the cenotes. Yeah, the cenotes oh in gosh. particular. That. Uh. Anyways, all right, all right. So conversation <laughs> is open. Maybe we'll continue over dinner. And man, yeah, yeah. Uh, bucketlistlifestyle.com. The bucketlistlifestyle.com. The yeah, the also, you can find us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, all the all the socials, YouTube, all that kind of mm. stuff. Uh, teach people how to travel, hack, and, and get free flights and stuff like that, too. So they're able to come on these adventures and just have it truly all-inclusive. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, so tempted to open up more, <laughs> more like, cenotes. Yeah. And I guess the Hey, what? a Tulum trip. No one's doing Tulum trips. It's such an incredible place, but I, I haven't seen one... Okay, I guess I've seen a couple yoga retreats in Tulum, but it's pretty rare. Most of the time people go just like, hey, we're, just a couple of friends are going. Tulum is one of my favorite cities in the world. Yeah. Beach town. I don't even know if I'd call it a city, but a beach town. Oh, man. And the cenotes there and the Mayan ruins. It's, I rode a little scooter. I broke down going to the um, Chichen Itza, the wonder of the world. Yeah. Uh, and I broke down and I actually had to uh, push my motorcycle about two miles, my little scooter, to a, a mechanic and uh, stayed there for hours. We had to order a part. I met his family, his three little farm daughters, and they were coming out. And they were like, like 18, 21, and 23. And like, hola. <laughs> I was like, hey, <laughs> what's going on, girls? <laughs> when you went to Chitsunitsa, was it open to walk up or no? No, no me could, neither. You can't me walk neither. up. I've heard it pretty recently. That happened pretty recently, that transition. Really? Yeah, I've met people that have walked up it. Wow. And it was like allowed. Oh, my God. That's yeah. that's not going to last. No, I, I, last. I, I don't think it is allowed anymore. 
Okay. No, it was like before. There was a cutoff. Oh, back in the day. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Maybe like, like ten or fifteen. If you years go to the, the the pyramids, for example, it's crumbling. Like you, it's literally like at, you can see the sides mm. are all crumbling down. So it's I only wonder time. where now will eventually be fenced off. <laughs> I, I could think of some places that I must feel guilty about talking about publicly. Yeah. But I'm like wondering where public places that are known that eventually you might not even be able to experience. You can't experience like the um, the Sphinx. Uh, you can't go near the Sphinx. Uh, the Sphinx, um, it's all it's all blocked off now because it's so it's crumbling and it's so weak. Oh, speaking of this, Kauai. So yeah. you have you uh, have you heard of the Kilalao Trail? The yeah. Lever? Okay. Have you been to the Kauai? world's most dangerous? Yeah, yeah, that has trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you been I there? Or, I, haven't, okay. I haven't done the trail. So I've done part of it. The first but that part of Kauai yeah. is already uh, starting at Hanalei Bay North. Allegedly, is just closed down to the public right now. Wow. And then that's not only that trail. That means there's many other mm-hmm. things that I've like I've like literally harvested spring water in this spot that now the public is not even allowed. I've to. heard that. Yeah, like so waterfalls. That's interesting all this stuff. That, like that's so another reminder, guys. And not, and I would love to l- kind of conclude this on air. If you have anything, Chase, to remind people that like if you have a dream, the time is now. And that, like, winning, like, putting this off. I've had people that tell me they were coming to a retreat, like, eight years ago. And I still, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've heard from them again. And sometimes they do. But a lot of times this this trick, it's like a delusion or an illusion of I'll do this when or next time or next year or one day. Like, some days not a day of the week. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to wake people up to that. If you're feeling, if this podcast, whatever it does, it means, like, to join us on one of our adventures or to do your own adventure or to do something you've been putting off for a long time, like, wake up, do it now. Eckhart Tolle, the power of now. I mean, I could list a hundred different iterations of that reminder. And if you have anything to remind people about that topic. Yeah, absolutely. I think just the the most important thing is understanding that it's going to be scary no matter what. Whether you do it or you don't do it, there's going to be some some fear there. Uh, And understanding that that's what courage is. You know, being courageous, taking that step and actually doing that thing that you know you should be doing. Just like when we know we shouldn't be eating the cake at 10 p.m. You know, we know we shouldn't be. This is even more important. This isn't just something short term. The, the experiences that we're able to have in this life have the ability to transform us and evolve us in such a beautiful way. And that's what life is, is it, it is connection. It is people, it is community, and it is experiencing life to taste, to touch, to feel everything that we possibly can on this earth. And there are incredible people and companies like the ones both of us are running that create spaces for that to happen. And take away the anxiety of planning all of this and create the, and take away the anxiety of what am I going to do all this? Uh, it's like, nah, like there are people who are professionals and will allow and help you go through this experience, have a conversation with them and see how you feel afterwards. Rasta. Yes. Yes. You want to join us in Austin, March 22nd? Are you available for the next Ooh. drive design? <laughs> March 22nd. Uh, let me check my calendar. I think that's right around when I'm leaving for Tokyo. I don't know. We'll see. I'm running a trip to Japan, and that's like it's it's right at the beginning of April. How long is it? Uh, three nights. Three nights. Three nights. An hour north of Austin. Maybe. Okay. All right. It's a maybe. Let's talk after this. All right. To be continued, y'all, as it always is, and make the best decisions now because that's the time for eternity. Peace. This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society.
Aloha, everyone. I trust y'all are so enjoying these transmissions, becoming more of an in a state of awe, more in a state of joy, bliss, blessed. The attitude of gratitude is growing in you. You're becoming a magnet for unavoidable success more and more every day. So you're experiencing life in the most heavenly way you ever have now. And that it only gets better from here on out. That's my prayer for us. And that we're uh, giving our gifts generally, generously. Generously. That uh, our cups are spilling over. And if we want to get something to give it, wow. It's been a lot to keep up with. With traveling with... Uh, our baby and Deanna and all these different climates, like literally someone can drive to snow, to the beach, to the desert, to valleys, to rivers, all in one day on this island. And with my ambition for adventure, it's been pretty, it's been a pretty fun opportunity to stay grounded and also prioritize this podcast and my other projects that are built around my passion. Um, if you want to team up with me right now, I think our number one offering that I'm most excited about is uh, on February 22nd, we'll launch our next Tribe Design Facilitator training for up to 22 people. And that will, uh, that what that looks like is a month-long virtual training. It's awesome, life-changing. I mean, if you're attached to seeking affirmations for your limitations or you're looking to surround yourself with people that don't hold you accountable to your highest, it's probably not for you. But if you're ready to go all in on your dreams and start living like today is the best day ever, and we're not sure how many days we'll have, but we're willing to go all in in the meantime, this is for you. If you want to cultivate the art of being able to design a tribe wherever in the world you go, that you just become a, a magnet for connection and that you understand how to connect people, even if they don't agree with one another, able to uh, basically be a catalyst for heart sync over group think if that's something you're looking for or being able to re facilitate retreats that get you paid to share your passion in a way that feels good and makes like money more clean in my opinion I think a lot of people think money is dirty because they're trading their time doing something they don't want to do to see numbers move on their screen and that's one of those moments I would ask you to ask how much is making this money costing me? How much is saving money costing me? And tr just to treat money as there's no shortage of it because in reality money is made up and how can something made up be scarce? So I trust all these podcasts and transmission are getting you to go all in on your dreams and passions beyond your stories around money, time, or space because those seem the cultural norms that most people are ready to break through to start living a more liberated life rather than under someone else's ploy. So if this resonates with you, go ahead and send your application in today at internationaltribedesign.com and one of our awesome team members will get back to you to explore if you're a good fit because if you are, we want you to start running retreats around the world, designing tribes based on what lights you up the most. Build the people and the places will come. And that seems to be a real reality here. While I've been out here in Hawaii, so many people want to show me their the lands they're stewarding, the retreat centers they're building, the ideas around designing functional tribes that are thriving rather than the vicious circle of some of the cultures that are not working. It's been such an inspiring trip, and uh, I'm, I'm wanting to team up with the people that are taking the time out of their day to tune in and listen to these ideas about Breaking Normal. And if you're ready to take action, hit me up, breakingnormal.com. I trust if, if you're feeling the call, we'll see you in Austin, and uh, we'll get you trained to start facilitating your own events and maybe some even tribe designs.
that's what's happening in Austin. Three people that have gone through the program are actually facilitating this event, and our intention is to show up as either supporters or uh, special guests, but more as a um, as experiencing the experience as an attendee, like maybe you who's listening will be. So if you're ready to celebrate life in a tribe design in one of the greatest places on earth, the greatest time to be there, I'm trusting I'll see you in my inbox or I'll see an application from you and we'll get ready to party in all the cool ways, all the ways that make everything better. This is not like an experience of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's like what happens at a tribe design upgrades everything forever. Hmm. Aloha, y'all. Keep breaking normal.